I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why does making friends as an adult feel so what hard? What should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a form of But that Why hookup was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We We want want to know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. Happy Tuesday and welcome back to another episode of the Every Girl Podcast. I am your host, Josie, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Elena, for a different kind of episode. We're sitting down with Dr. Sanam Hafiz, a top neuropsychologist and sought-after expert who has been featured in outlets such as CNN, NBC, Fox, Business Insider, and U.S. News and World Report. I've worked with Dr. Hafiz on articles for TheEverGirl.com in the past, and she has amazing advice, so I really wanted to have her on to discuss holiday triggers and pressures and stress and all those things that come up this time of year like just feeling overwhelmed or lonely or, you know, navigating difficult family dynamics. So we pulled you, our audience, for questions for Dr. Hafiz, and we received so many that we decided to dedicate the entire episode to an audience Q&A. So we cover everything from navigating in-laws to how to answer questions about why you're single to why we can feel sad or overwhelmed this time of year. We really cover a wide range of topics for all of the most common triggers and stressors throughout the holiday season. So just a warning that we discuss painful family dynamics and feelings of loneliness, and we discuss disordered eating. So if these topics might be triggering for you, please take care of yourself. This Q&A is jam-packed with a ton of really helpful advice, and I got a lot from it. I know you will too. With that, please welcome Dr. Sanam Hafiz to the Every Girl Podcast. This week's review comes from Literal Mama, who writes, Another episode nailed. Every episode that the Every Girl puts out is so intentional and meaningful, literally for every girl. I absolutely loved the most recent episode of the Every Girl podcast. The topic of holiday perfection resonated so much with me, especially as a mother. The discussion of priorities changing once you have kids and setting healthy boundaries and expectations with extended family was so on point. I love that this episode, like every other episode, felt like a conversation among girlfriends. I found myself absolutely nodding, laughing, and totally vibing with them. Bearing perspectives, Santa, I know him, and so much wisdom and fun, always. Thank you, the literal mama. I love your name and I love your review. Don't forget to DM us at the Evergirl Podcast on Instagram to collect a pair of Bala bangles in the color of your choice. For this week's giveaway, you can win the ultimate winter must-have the cozy knit robe from Skims that you can also find in the cozy chic gift guide on theevergirl.com. It is so cute. You guys, you will want to live in it all winter long. It's so warm, truly the best fabric. It's like a butterier version of the barefoot dreams blanket kind of fabric. It's so good. It literally is the best fabric ever. To win a cozy knit robe from Skims for yourself, all you need to do is leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts to tell us what you loved about this episode. Now let's get into the interview. We asked our audience to write in with questions for you about holiday triggers, what causes stress and anxiety this season. We got so many questions with so many people needing help. I know you can offer such amazing advice. So we thought we'd do something a little different with this episode and ask you questions directly from our audience. Um, There's a lot of interesting questions here. I know you're going to have some great advice for. So to go ahead and get started, the following few questions have to do with just kind of like the general pressure or sadness that can sometimes come with the season. So the first question is, I'm single, 28, and live alone in Dallas, Texas. Everything is expensive right now, and it seems like everything is piling up between events and trying to make time for myself. The thought of Christmas gifts is stressing me out on top of how to do everything and still rest. 
How can I balance the stress that comes with spending a lot of money and being so busy this season? So I think that most people who struggle with, uh, I mean, I think holiday seasons are just, you know, the, the entire run from like October to January, I think is really stressful. My morning text messages on my family has just been the Thanksgiving menu and I can't even keep track of who's doing what. And it's, it's a lot. So, you know, I think that holidays are stressful no matter who you are, even when it's fun and you're excited, I think, but it hits a little harder. I think if you've maybe been in a place that's not the best, if you're single, if you're not happy with your job, if you're not happy with the way you look, you've been struggling with weight, you've had health issues. So the holidays have a way of compounding those things and making them so much worse. So I, I think the easiest or the best advice for the holidays is what the advice would be for the rest of the year. In order to carve out time for yourself, you actually have to prioritize yourself. You have to say me first, because if I'm in no good shape, then I can't really be good for anyone else. If I show up angry, stressed, wired, I'm not going to be fun company. You know, our presence really that important. What is it that I'm trying to put across? I'm trying, am I trying to win over my parents? Am I trying to show my sisters or my, my, my family that I'm making more money now? Am I trying to put on a more cheerful face than I really feel? I think the harder part is the inner work, which everyone runs away from till we're forced to do it. I think the the most incredible thing about the pandemic was that a lot of us, no matter what situation we were in, had to spend time with ourselves. And a lot of us came up against things that, you know, we'd either been hiding from or we didn't see coming and they just smacked us right in the face. And I think that's what a lot of this is. You know, holidays are a time of reckoning, of kind of saying, okay, did, did this year go the way I wanted it to? Did I accomplish all the things that I wanted to? And they show up in the form of insecurities coming from other people. It's never other people. It's always coming from you. If you feel like people are going to ask you, well, why aren't you dating yet? Why aren't you married yet? That's not them. That's you. It's a lot of that insecurity is yours. And you're only projecting it out there because you're receiving something that you are already feeling kind of bad about, you know? So the, the easier question is to give you tips. The harder question is for you to look within and try to figure out what about this is so bothersome. Why do you feel the need to buy all these presents? Why is it hard for you to carve out time for yourself? If you're single and let's say you don't have children, you really are the center of your own universe. And, you know, I say that because I think when you have children, especially, it's really hard to make be the center of your own universe. But even then, I tell moms that a sane mom is the best mom. So no matter who you are, if you can't carve out time for yourself, if you can make yourself priority, you're no good to anyone else. That's really good advice to look at the the reason behind why it's a trigger. Why are you letting yourself get to that point? And, and it's it reminds me of that phrase. It's like the the problem is your problem with the problem, where it's like, it, it's everything to do with how you're viewing the problem, not the problem itself that's causing you a lot of stress. So I think that's a really great place to start is to look inward. If someone is so busy from morning to night, they have all these holiday events, are there any little tricks and tips that you recommend to someone like squeeze in a little bit of time for themselves to make sure that they're taking care of themselves this season? Yeah, I think this is the, the my favorite part of self-care. And I think, honestly, I discovered a lot of this over the pandemic because, you know, for some of us, we had a lot of time. And then there were times where we seemed to have no time. And depending on, you know, how it went, I think the pandemic really opened my eyes to the value of self-care. I, I talked about this. I suddenly developed alopecia areata during the pandemic, which is like those patches. It was terrifying. It was so depressing it made me a little nuts, you know, and I, and I thought, okay, what, what can I do to take care of myself between trying to suddenly having a practice that's remote, having five-year-old twins who have to attend virtual zoom kindergarten. I mean, it was, it was insane, you know, and I, and I had all these interviews and suddenly it was, I felt like I was the only psychologist in America because I was on every show, <laughs> every hour, you know, in some ways it was, it was an incredible time but I found myself struggling for downtime. Whereas everyone was like, oh, we're so bored. I'm like, oh, I wish I had time to be bored. And in some ways it was wonderful, you know? But what I found was 10, 15 minutes of utter quiet time of sitting on a couch. I found a little spot where the sun comes in, you know, when the sun is out and I would sit there with my coffee or my morning tea. And I just, and I put my phone away and I just look out the window. I do nothing but look out the window. And it took some practice because our natural 
go-to is checking our phone for text messages, emails, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, whatever your, your poison is. And I think I found that the more I did it, the more I craved it. And that 15 minutes became a half hour. And I will sometimes take 45 minutes in the morning. And I get not everyone has that time. You know, some mornings I drop my kids off and I, I don't start till about a half an hour after so I can get that time in. And it's so easy to say, you know what? It's okay. I'll do it tomorrow. No, you can't do it tomorrow. You must make that time every day. Even at night, you know, if you're taking a shower, take an extra five minutes. Even the process of putting your your face creams on, the cleansing, that ritual can be calming and meditative because you're kind of doing the same thing and the brain needs to rest. You know, the other funny thing that happened over the pandemic, and I'm a neuropsychologist, so you can imagine how exciting this was for me. I started getting ringing in my ears and I was like, oh my God, what's going on? And, you know, I realized I was using the AirPods because everyone was on their phone. And so I went to an ENT who said, oh, we need to do an MRI. And I went, what? Oh my gosh, how scary. It's so terrifying. I thought you were just yeah. going to pull out some nasty gun from my ears. You're going to have to do, <laughs> have to do an MRI. Yeah. And it turned out to be nothing. You know, the MRI was clean, but I just thought, I'm a neuropsychologist. I know this. The brain only has so much capacity to cram it all in and keep functioning at its full capacity. You know, it's the same thing as if you ate the same garbage every day or you never exercised or you, you know, eventually your body's going to catch up. And the same thing with your brain. The brain seems to be so incredibly plastic. It seems to have this unending room for information, but it, it needs rest. You know, when people have strokes or they have concussions, that's what we say give it rest, let it not have to work more than it has to. So I found that, you know, carving that extra time for myself had a way of quieting the brain, letting things sink in. And my tagline kind of became take care of yourself before you have to get a brain MRI, <laughs> you know, you know, mental health and health professionals were so slammed and, and continue to be slammed after the pandemic. So I, I thought it was more relevant, but I think it applies to a lot of women, especially who take on so much, have a hard time saying no, who are moms and they're working or they're just working and taking on other responsibilities and, um, you know, feeling guilty that they have downtime. There is no guilt for downtime. Enjoy it. You deserve it. You actually need to make room for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I feel like during the holidays, like you said, exactly, it starts right away in the morning with texts coming in, then you have work, you have your weekends are slammed, evenings are slammed, kids are busy. If you're wrapping up school, it's a busy season. And so I can only imagine that a body must like crave and a mind must crave that even if it's just 10 or 15 minutes of solitude and like peace, even though we don't know it because we're like used to kind of this go, go, go short attention span. But that sounds really amazing. Thank you for sharing all of that. So in this season of busyness, do you have any tips for introverts to avoid that feeling of overwhelm? And that way they can find, you know, if they can avoid feeling overwhelmed, they can find more enjoyment in, in the holiday events that they're going to. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think this is something that a lot of people struggle with, but especially people who might be a little more introverted or maybe get overstimulated by too much social mm -hmm. engagement learning to say no. I mean, that's the, see all this advice that I give during the holidays, <laughs> this really applies to your life year long. This isn't just for the holidays. In fact, if you practice it all year, then your holidays next year will actually be easier. You know, so I think introverts, or there's some people who are extroverted, but feel drained and exhausted by all. That's a lot. Yeah. There's some <laughs> people you haven't seen in a while. You have this urge to overshare or fill them in on everything. And you don't have to do a lot of that. You know, you can always say, it's so good to see you. We really need to catch up. Let's make some time um, to get on the phone or let's make some time to grab a coffee one of these days. So the pressure is off to do everything in that one little meeting when other people are vying for your attention and there's noise and, you know, sort of coming at you from mm -hmm. behind you. The other thing is you don't have to say yes to every invite you get. I don't know why people feel like they have to go to every holiday event you know, this obviously this fear of missing out, this FOMO is is really big during the holidays. I think it's it's a great thing to intermingle, to connect with people. I mean, the holidays have a good a way of also cheering you up, but that high also has a way of crashing you back down. And you can have a really fun, exciting day. And if you come home and, and you don't have 
let's say, you know, you don't have a partner and you really want a partner or your, your pet just died. And I know someone whose pet just died and, and she's so sad about the holidays. And so I, I think, it, you know, everyone has something going on. And if that's true, but these holiday cheerful parties have a way of making you feel a little overwhelmed, a little like crash and burn sort of a situation. And you kind of either you convince yourself that a party is just that no one's going to go home in that same cheer. And it's okay to feel a little either sad or lonely when you come back or exhausted when you come back. And so how can I minimize it? Well, I can go later and leave earlier. I can say no. I can just meet that one person and choose to talk to them, you know, without hoarding that person, but, you know, really connect meaningfully. Or I'm just going to, you know, get eggnog and just kind of coast and and waltz through the room and not really connect with anyone. You know, whatever Again, it's again, prioritizing. Mm -hmm. If you prioritize your own self-preservation, you will make that priority. You will make sure that you do what's best for you. I think most of us burn out because we're trying to do what we think is either best for everyone else or what other people expect of us. It is so hard. I have to share this little anecdote because I couldn't agree more with everything you're saying. A few years back, my husband and I, uh, I, my parents are divorced and then he has his side and we're very lucky that they all live close by. But we, a few years ago, started calling the holidays the gauntlet because it was six days, two days with each set of parents. Like just, it was nonstop. And I've always loved the holidays and it made it exhausting and not fun. And like, these are people I love and I'm very lucky I want to be with them, but it was just too much. And we decided going into that next year that, we, we didn't have that many, that much time to give. And those were really hard conversations. And I think a lot of people struggle with those conversations of disappointing people or they, you know, they feel guilty or they're made to feel guilty. And so I know that that can be a really hard conversation to navigate the protecting one's peace and like saying no. But again, I think it was something that we normalized and people started getting used to. And now it's the norm and the expectation. So I couldn't agree more that it's necessary and it's not easy at first, but it definitely helped us. And now everything's much more enjoyable. So yeah, I absolutely love that advice. As I'm listening to you, I'm also thinking at some point you want to say, well, what about our tradition? What if I want to start having these traditions at my home? You know, and the, the question, oh yes, <laughs> yes, we've had those conversations. Yeah. And the funny little thought that popped into my head is we rotate holidays. And maybe that's a good way to do it. Rotate them. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll have Thanksgiving with you and I'll do Christmas with you and we'll do yeah. New Year's and then we'll rotate them the following year. You know, something's got to give. It's, it's impossible to please everyone. I think both of our moms would be devastated if they didn't. I don't know. We haven't crossed that bridge yet. That was that's a method because they live so close. But I, I know it is a lot. Josie, what about you? You live farther. Yeah, but it's like the four Christmases, the Vince Vaughn yes, movie, where like they're trying I to so. juggle everything. And so that's you telling your story, like really reminds me of that. And we did have so many questions about navigating those family dynamics. I mean, setting boundaries and kind of really honing in on protecting your peace instead of trying to please everyone else is such a huge tip. The next reader question that someone wanted to know about family dynamics was, Um, This person writes, I'm living away from home and I won't be going home for Christmas. So it's really sad to be away from my family. Additionally, I've had a falling out with family members. I miss them, but I'm also very hurt by some of them. So what's the best way to deal with being triggered by seeing happy families together when yours isn't very solid? So kind of almost like on the opposite end of the spectrum, it's it's kind of a a lack of that happy family time. Yeah. And you know, this is where I I think preparing, and by the way, there are a lot of people like that, you know, and there's often strife between families. I think in the last few years, I've seen people fall out because of just political differences alone. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then there are people who've been torn apart by, you know, the COVID pandemic or people who lost family members because of COVID. So I think the holidays have changed just there. There's a more like an like a sociopolitical undertone to holidays. And so I think for people who may not feel that they really belong or their families are not in that strong place, I think the easiest thing is to either identify that one family member that you really like and maybe try to make plans with them or maybe do, you know, a Friendsgiving instead of a Thanksgiving, have a couple of friends that you can go out with, maybe volunteer. I mean, you know, research shows us that the, the way to true happiness, even to the end of life, is altruism. The more you do for other people, the happier and better you feel. And honestly, I, I sometimes put, when I tell people this, I go, would I do this? And I, 
I say, yeah, I mean, I've always been very fortunate. I have a family, very tight knit, you know, Pakistani family. So we never go more than five miles from anyone. Like, you know, we, we stay together. But I think, I think volunteering is such a great way to give back. It's such a great way to connect with yourself, with a higher purpose. And then you can look back and say, wow, remember that one year I, I gave my time? I mean, there isn't something, anything better you can give anyone is your time. And so I, I think there's so many things people can do. Vacations, trip, take a trip, go to a resort, get out of town. You don't have to be here. I don't know who dictated that you must stay where you are, <laughs> miserable or not, when it's time for the holidays. You don't. That's such great advice. Yeah. All of that, I feel like would really aid in that mindset shift yes. because that's what this sounds like. This, when you're focused on someone else's happiness and that your, your lack of it, yeah. like change the, change the mindset, do anything to distract from that and, and change the focus. I love that so yeah. much. To no one's surprise, we received a lot of pleas for help about in-laws, either in-laws who bring a lot of drama or put a lot of pressure uh, for the holidays to be done on their terms, kind of like what I was talking about earlier. Fortunately, my mother-in-law's not like that if she's listening. Uh, (laughs) Any advice for setting boundaries when it's not necessarily your immediate family and the stress that is coming from your significant other's side? And the significant other. So I think the stress is worse when your partner is not on the same page with you. And I think it's Mm -hmm. easier to kind of work at it from like the opposite end. I would rather that you, you know, speak to your spouse, your husband, your wife, whomever, and say, listen, your mom wants to do this. How do you think we should tackle this? And I think if you're on the same page, then addressing it as we decided versus I said, you know, which... Mm -hmm. In law likelihood, if you have a strained relationship with your mother-in-law, she's going to assume that you decided anyway. <laughs> so if you say, if you, can you have this conversation with me? So I'm not the bad guy. So I'm not tainting my, my future relationship. You know, at the end of the day, a mother-in-law's son is always going to be her son, right? And it's, it's never, that relationship's never going to change. But that one rejection or perceived rejection or slight during a holiday can last and then really can change the fabric of that relationship. Especially yeah. this person's going to be your children's grandmother. I mean, it, it can get complicated on so many levels. So I think the best way to address it is not with the in-law. It's with your own partner. Come to an agreement and present it as a, a team. And then, you know, your partner might also have some strong feelings. And then you, that is probably where you need to tackle it more. I think a lot of times in-laws, the good ones and the not so good ones, I think they take their cues from their own children. If they mm-hmm. feel that my son you know, kind of sounds like he's being controlled or he's being manipulated. Your mother-in-law is going to assume it's it's such an easy and a a lovely assumption to make, you know, it kind of fits all the profiles you want. So I think if you address it the other way, not only are you strengthening your partnership with your spouse or, you you know, but you're also kind of setting the tone for the future that we're going to present a united front. We're going to make decisions together. So I am not the bad guy or the mouthpiece. I think a lot of guys, especially make the, the wives for better or worse sort of the the spokesperson for the family and they don't realize how much it actually hurts them and their stature in the family. Yeah, that's so important that it should come from the the child of the parent that you're having the issue with and you're a united front. I know so many of my friends that are going through that where they have, you know, in-laws that they're having issues with. You know, part of me is, is like, what if the spouse is the problem of like the spouse is not willing to, like you said, go and talk to their mother in a certain way. Like maybe they're kind of in that like child parent thing where they're like, I'm not going to stand up to my mom or, or maybe they don't even know <laughs> that their, you know, parents, their family, whatever are kind of putting these toxic dynamics onto their family. What do you do then when, when it's kind of like your spouse is not on the same page as you? I think that's the harder battle, right? I think um, a lot of times I think the the spouse may have, you know, may still turn into that little boy and mommy role, which happens a lot. Um, And it happens to women also. I think women over time have learned to assert their independence a little more because they've had to, whereas I think guys have coasted and gotten away with it for a long time. And I think when it comes to these big events, they're like, oh, you know what? You do this really well. And I think you should talk to my mom. I think in that case, I think a conversation with your spouse or your husband maybe on the, on the cards. Like you need to have that conversation and say, listen, you do this a lot. It puts me in an awkward position. I'm willing to be there. I'm willing to talk you through it. And, or maybe it's a great way to get to know or be curious about your spouse and what is bringing these feelings up? 
what happened in their childhood? What dynamic are they trying to break away from? Because that same dynamic, I hate to break it to most people, will play out in your marriage. You know, we have a way of playing out our parents' relationships or our relationships with our parents with our significant others. And then we play the same relationship out with our children. So again, for me, everything goes back to the core. For me, I I truly believe in fixing things from the ground up. Or you're constantly addressing one problem after the other without really getting to the root cause. I really like that that advice because we did get so many questions about my in-laws are this, and I and I'm so stressed about the holidays because of my in-laws. So I think your advice is very freeing because it's immediately removing the responsibility from these people asking and having these problems because the solution lies in what you can do with your partner, not you having to, you know, talk to the mother-in-law, talk to the in-laws. So I, I honestly think that that's really freeing for probably a lot of people to hear. It is not your responsibility to fix everything with your in-laws. It's up to you and your partner to solve that together and be a united front. I really do think that that's really, really important for people to hear. Kind of on a different note with in-laws, one person writes in and asks, I've been dating my boyfriend for three and a half years and my parents are meeting my boyfriend's parents for the first time. Help. So I, I think too, like anything with blending families is always a little sticky. Do you have any advice for that? Because I know a lot of people are going to be going through that this holiday season. Yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, why would you do that to yourself? I think it sounds like just a terrible <laughs> idea because you have no idea if their chemistry is going to, you know, clash. I mean, the best way to do that is to have a nice quiet dinner out somewhere in a neutral territory well before the holidays or any kind of significant, you know, this way they kind of feel each other out. Parents, especially moms or dads, even you can be a little territorial about their children. Of course, they're watching for any sign why you or your child may not be good for their child. Um, I think holidays can be a stressful time as it is. And I think you're kind of sucking the fun out of it because now everyone either has to be on their best behavior or their most defensive behavior, or worse, their protective behavior. You know, someone says something to your child and you're like, you know, don't talk to my, my daughter like that. Don't talk to my son like that. So I think, um, I think holidays are just so tricky. I really feel for the people who are going to be doing that this holiday season. But if you must, I think every, every person has an obligation to maybe have a conversation with their own parent and kind of say, listen, you know, this person's important to me and I don't know his or her parents as well, but you know, could you just be, I've, I've heard, or I think this is true for them. Could you be, could you be a little bit more mindful or let's say if you know uh, someone has a health problem or someone has particular food preferences, you know, doing a little something for someone goes a really long way. So if you say, listen, I, I know you're vegetarian. I made something vegetarian for you. Or if let's say someone is, you know, recovering alcoholic, for instance, you want to do the little things that are considerate. And even if they don't go very far with the parents, it'll go very far with your significant other because you made that effort for them. So I, I think, you know, the key word is really curiosity. If you ask someone what they would like, you'd be amazed at what information they'll give back to you. You know, what do you think your mom would like, you know, as an entree? What kind of, you know, drink does she prefer? What would she like as a gift? What do you think? And, and it's amazing when you come to someone else with those questions, how much they want to tell you. And it kind of can open up all these other avenues of conversations that can make your relationship strong. So I love that. Like a combination of uh, genuine thoughtfulness for the other people and, and curiosity, like you said, and then also helping the situation by kind of setting expectations for the most you can do like with your parents and, and your significant other with theirs. So I love that. That's helpful. Um, okay. Oh, I feel like we could talk about parents for another hour or so, <laughs> or not parents, not just parents, family in, in general for another. Yes. Um, but we did have a few questions for people who wrote in expressing a lot of feelings of loneliness this time of year. So to shift the conversation again, uh, we had two folks write in one saying, I am perpetually single and it doesn't really bother me except during the holidays any advice? And someone else wrote, I'm so sick of the, so are you seeing anyone question? Any tips you have for anyone going home for the holidays or facing these questions this year? You know, again, (laughs) 
tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you. If you spend time investing in yourself, right? If you really spend time loving who you are, these things really, you can say, well, it doesn't bother me till someone asks you that question. It should never bother you. If it is your choice to be single, right? Or even if it's not your choice, you say, no, I'm not, but I just got back from an amazing vacation. Would you like to hear about it? Or no, I'm not, but I just started working with this amazing charity, you know, for children. Would you, you know, can I tell you more about that? And you can not only genuinely be impassioned and proud of your own life, and then the conversation can shift away, but you really can put an end to those questions, you know? The other way to sort of enjoy a party or, or an event with families is to maybe bring a friend, even if you're not dating someone. You know, all of us have a single friend, especially when you're single, you're bound to have a single friend who either doesn't want to go home, can't afford to go home, can't take the time off to go home, or doesn't like home. You know, there are plenty of people. It's okay. It's okay to say that. But no, I had a rough childhood. I have a difficult relationship with my with my parents. It's okay. There's There shouldn't be shame attached to it. But I think the holidays make us feel ashamed of who we are, where we come from. And I think this is such a toxic, longstanding, you know, all the it, all the cheer and the, the warmth and the beauty of holidays, there is some ugliness there that people just don't address. And it takes a toll on people. There are people who get very sad, not because they are just sad, but because they have to face all these things that they've been avoiding all year, you know, a critical mother, an overbearing father, or, you know, a, a sibling who hit you when you were young, or, uh, you know, kind of makes you feel less than, or uh, there's so much of, you know, of that. So if you bring a close friend or just another friend who also has nowhere to go, now there's two of you and two is always stronger <laughs> than one. And, you know, if nothing else, you can say, you know what, I know. Claire and I are going to go for a walk or, you know, John and I are going to go to the local bar and get a drink. And it kind of breaks up the monotony and it breaks up the people in your face. And you can, you can go out, have, you know, fun conversation, maybe make fun of your family, come back with you, you know, for more material. Love that. A little breathing room. Yeah. Breathing room is like a great, great tip. Just go out there, <laughs> just take a moment for yourself, be in the bathroom and take some deep breaths, something. Oh. But I, I'm so curious because now you have me thinking like, why really is it that that people maybe who feel really confident and happy being single, the holidays can feel so triggering and and like make them feel lonely and like ashamed of that singleness? Like, why is that? Is it because like you said, you're confronting, you know, maybe you're, you know, the nosy aunt in a different way. So it's just getting those questions or like, what is it about the holidays that makes us feel like we shouldn't be single? Because we are bombarded with images of happy couples, you know, whether it's on billboards, whether it's on ads, you know, those K-jewelry movies. <laughs> movies. I mean, they start playing all, all the movies. Love Actually and, you know, Made in Manhattan and all these wonderful movies that we enjoy, but they can kind of make you feel nostalgic, you know, also, sadly, for maybe even not such great relationships, you know, plenty of people reach out to their exes because they're lonely or, you know, start to see their their past not good relationships suddenly in a rosy light. At least I had her. Or at least I had him. So it can be actually quite dangerous. And if you don't do that work on yourself, holidays can really do you in. You know, also stay away from social media. I think Instagram. I, I like, I actually really enjoy Instagram. You know, I, I like the pictures, but it also depends on who you follow, right? If you follow everyone and anyone, you know, I turn my Instagram, I just get a lot of political commentary and new stuff. So I, I don't, I'm not bombarded with, with a lot of that, but you're, there's an algorithm, right? So if you follow certain accounts or certain people, the same stuff will show up and all you see are these happy couples. I mean, do you really think there's such happy couples across America? You know, I was thinking about this the other day. Apart from the statistics of divorce, I know for a fact, as a psychologist who's been, I'm a neuropsychologist, a clinical psychologist, I've done this my entire adult life, which is longer than you think. <laughs> and I can tell you that people are struggling. Almost everyone is struggling on some level with their relationship. There is no such thing as a perfectly happy couple. It does not exist. The happiest couple is a couple that's willing to work on their relationship. That's it. That's the easiest answer. Um, or seemingly happy couples that don't fight are couples who've checked out. There's no such thing, but people just don't remember this. You know, they just see vacation photos. They see, you know, holiday photos with their arms linked through, you know, festive 
clothes, festive smiles um, in a party. And it's so easy to think, oh my God, there's so, everyone seems to have someone. I don't have anyone. You have no idea what's going on behind closed doors. Totally. I don't know about both of you, but um, I mean, personally, I can even just think in my personal life with people I'm close with, who I actually, like, I know what she's going through, but then I see what's go- being put on social media. And I think, right. you know, or, or even me personally, I, I, I tend to, I try to stay off when I'm having hard days and whatnot, but like, I think everyone, like, if you can find one example, like, just know that that is literally universal. Apply that to everyone out there. But I know it's hard. But I love you. Like, get get off of it. Curate it more. Mute the accounts that are bringing yes. you down. I think the more you can do to protect your own mind. Even, and even if you're following someone who just makes you feel like not such a great person. I mean, let's face it. We all see someone goes, oh, God, this person with their, like, like they're so fake or whatever. You know what? I, whenever I've done that and I'm a human being, it's okay. You know, being anything doesn't make you, it doesn't make you above everyone else. You're, you're prone to your whatever. I just unfollow because not only does someone else not deserve that, but why bring yourself or put yourself in a position to be hateful or resentful or spiteful? Those are such negative things. And there's enough negativity as it is. Stop following people you don't really enjoy. Because it's affecting you. Like, especially I always think that, you know, when someone will leave a negative comment, the only thing I can ever think is that's affecting you more than it's affecting me, more than it's affecting whatever celebrity you're talking about. You know, it's when you're thinking and giving negativity, that's saying more about you and is damaging you more than it is the person on the receiving end. So I think that's really, really important that actually, so this conversation is making me just have a little light bulb moment of how interesting it is that we've be, we've gone a lot better, which is amazing at sharing the not so awesome, beautiful things on Instagram. I'll, I'll say some of some people more than others for sure, but like it's a little bit more normal to share. You know, I'm having a lot of anxiety. I'm really stressed today. Like people are sharing that a little bit more. And I was thinking about it for myself. Of I love to share. I'm having anxiety today. Like I love it, but I would never share. Me and my boyfriend just had a fight, you know, like it, it's sure. so not normalized yeah. to talk about the bad in your relationship, even as it's becoming more and more normal to talk about, you know, mental health or, or kind of these, like not having a great day, not having the picture perfect life, but we're still not there with relationships, which is, is just interesting. Like we just have this, you know, picture perfect relationship and, and that's like all it can be. I'm really interested in what you think Dr. Hafiz about you know, again, not to, you know, shame anyone, but I, I've heard before people who maybe are more gushy on Instagram and, and have the long captions and, and kind of talk a lot about how amazing their partner is, are the ones that are maybe dealing with more in the background. Do you find that or, or not really? Like it's just more about people's, what people want to show on Instagram. I don't know how I feel about that. So first of all, I think that it's absolutely true. There is so much more stigma around admitting that you have a troubled relationship than it is to admitting that you are troubled. Because I think when people think, oh, if I say I have a troubled relationship and then I post a happy picture, people are going to be like, wait, you were just fighting and now you're okay. You know, people kind of don't want to air their dirty laundry. You're also now involving someone else, right? And then that could create problems in your already troubled relationship. And then, you know, people will say things. And I think we all know as women, we know so much more because we're women, we have girlfriends. And I think a lot of us know that women have a way of protecting our significant others because we think if I say this to so-and-so, they'll never forgive him or they'll never forgive her. And, you know, it's it's a built-in mechanism to protect people we love because we're like, we can get over this, but my mom's never going to get over this. So we, so we never reach out and get that emotional support because we think we're going to taint someone's impression of someone we love that hopefully we want to stay with. You know, I think that's the other thing. Most people are shocked because they'll find out, wait, why didn't you say something? And the reality is that's why they don't say anything because they don't think they can recover from it. So there's definitely a lot of stigma attached to it. I think also gushing about your personal private life on, on social media. I mean, just look at anyone, you know, celebrities, normal, regular people, People go through so many ups and downs in their in their relationships and their marriages. You know, it can be kind of embarrassing. I mean, you know, what I was thinking about the other day. 
just because we're on this topic, I was thinking about Jennifer Lopez, who I absolutely, if there's, I love her so much. I love how unapologetically she loves. But if you go through her, I mean, I don't even know. Does she delete those posts? You know, that massive ring? <laughs> That's a great think? question. Does she bring back old posts with Ben Affleck? I don't know. We didn't have Instagram back then. You know, there's a way of immortalizing someone on social media. You know, my, my husband and I are happily married. We were, we were dating. And obviously, you know, I've been married before. I didn't post any picture of him till we actually got married. I didn't even trust it when I was engaged. <laughs> I needed to have a celebration to post that picture. This is true for most people. And I think the problem isn't that they don't trust their relationships. They don't trust social media, you know, and they fear that they're going to put something out there and they won't be able to take it back. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I get it. I mean, I get it. Everyone gets it. It's it's a weird world. I, th I think we can all agree. I've, I mean, sometimes I'm shocked at what people remember from years ago that I've posted. And I'm like, I forgot yeah. about that. <laughs> well, in, in keeping with the relationship and, and loneliness conversation. So someone wrote in, it is my first holiday after divorce. How can I let people know ahead of time so I don't have to discuss my breakup? So I think if you go, I mean, I can really connect with that. It's tough having a celebration after divorce. I mean, I remember because Thanksgiving's coming up. I had one of the most, the biggest Thanksgiving after uh, my marriage had ended. My children were really small. And you were hosting? I hosted. Yes. Like massive, two, like 15 pound turkeys hosting. Oh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Anything a chicken or something else. I don't know. A lot. But they were, these were people who were my tribe. These were people who loved me, who were there for the journey, who were so supportive. And it felt amazing. And it, that conversation never came up, you know? And I wonder, what is, what is it like if you've just, and I mean, I'm, I'm assuming if you're going to be spending time with, with family or close friends for the holidays, they know that you went through this very big event in your life. And they might ask you, are you okay? And that's okay. You know, people don't always know how to approach this. They're not trying to make it uncomfortable for you, you know, but you can really just grab, you know, someone, clasp someone's hands and go, I'm okay. I really am. And I just want to enjoy this holiday. And I, I want to enjoy this get together without discussing it, without thinking about it. It's been a long road. Again, let's set up a time to speak after the holidays. It's such a great way to let someone know that you hear them, that you appreciate their warmth and their, their well uh, wishes toward you. But you you just don't want to speak about it during the holidays, you know. And then there are people who go through a breakup or a divorce and just need to talk about it. And right. you know, so so it really is to each his own. That really makes a lot of sense. Being on the other side of that, as the as a family member, you know, it it is always so tough to navigate. Come like wanting to show up and be there if the person wants to talk about it. Or being the person who will diffuse the conversation, you know, change the topic for you on your behalf. So, yeah, I think if you have anyone in your corner going into that holiday, like who you could like, maybe they could spread the word about, yeah. how you, you know, do do that work for you. So you don't have to have the uncomfortable conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, I have two sisters. And so they're like my little pigeon messengers, you know, like I can send them out to do all the work for me, yes. but good friends can act like that, you know, and if you, if you really, you know, don't want to put it on a group text, you can individually text some people and say, mm -hmm. listen, just a heads up. I am really, I'm, I'm in an okay place and I'm looking forward to seeing my family and friends. It's been a long year. Let's not talk about my divorce. You know, let's just have a good time. Yeah. We can connect after the holidays. I love that. Simple. <laughs> yeah. People appreciate honesty more than you think they do. Yeah. So that I was going to ask that too is on the flip side, if you are seeing someone you know has gone through a divorce, someone who is maybe grieving and, and you know they're going through a hard time, maybe they lost their job, you know, how do, you, how do we know how to approach that? Like what tips do you have to navigate wanting to be there for someone without putting them in that position where they feel uncomfortable? Yeah. I mean, you know, empathy and compassion is such a funny thing. I mean, some people have it by the boatload and they suffer sometimes because of it. And some people really just don't know how to, even if they feel for you, they don't know how to come across as empathetic and compassionate. You know, it's all in the art of 
both verbal and nonverbal gestures. You know, you could just really grab someone's hands and go, how are you doing? How's everything? And if they want to talk about it, they'll talk about it. But if you're loud and brash, the same exact thing, like, hey, how you doing? How's it going? You know, the same exact thing carries such different weight. So I think, I think if you really genuinely want to know, maybe don't do it in a group, do it, you know, pull them aside in the kitchen or a quiet couch um, and say, you know, on a serious note, how's everything? You know, how are you feeling? And if they want to talk about it, they'll talk about it. And you probably don't want to open it. Like you don't have to even say it. Yeah, right. Exactly. And you don't want to open with that. You know, you first want to ease them into it and, and kind of give them the room to decide if they want to talk about it. Take their lead. Yeah, exactly. But people don't always know how to read faces and nonverbal cues. You know, paying attention to people's faces, their body language, it can go a long way in a holiday or a party setting. Before we move on, I just want to say how much I appreciated all of that because these are all things that every single person is experiencing in one way or another. And and you gave such concrete, really, really great advice. Moving on into more of uh, that negative relationship with food, you you know, we got a lot of questions regarding having that negative relationship with their food, with their bodies, um, and how triggering the season can be when most events, you know, totally center around food and alcohol. So for example, someone writes in, I love the holidays, but all the focus on food and overindulging stresses me out. Any advice for people with body issues during a season that heavily revolves around food? Oh, a lot. I mean, I feel like people really struggle with their body, um, the way clothes fit them. You know, they put on like 15 dresses and pull them off or pants that are too tight. Um, And food, people who've either had issues with an eating disorder in the past, who continue to struggle with, let's say, calorie counting. Um, I think there are a couple of things that can be done. See, I mean, I'm I'm not going to fix anyone right before the holidays, you know, so I'm going to give you some really practical, pragmatic advice. So let's say one of the biggest issues is clothes. You know, have five or six different outfits, try them on, accessorize them. So the day of you are not stressed, you know what you're wearing, you've got it planned out. And you're, a lot of people show up to parties frazzled and stressed and frustrated because of the getting dressed part. You know, everyone else to them looks so effortless. Everyone's putting in, you know, whatever effort, but we have a way of, looking at things very myopically. And so we're like, oh, she's so skinny. What does she have to worry about? Or he's so tall. What does he have to worry about? You don't know what other people's insecurities are and you have no idea what they're dealing with. So I think the one of the easiest things I can suggest is get those clothes out that fit you well, that you feel comfortable in, that are not going to make you feel cinched in, that you, if you you know, ate one morsel of food there, your buttons are going to pop open, you know, wear something comfortable that you feel good in accessorize with a piece of jewelry, with a scarf, with a hat, you know, whatever, a statement piece or something. So it kind of takes the attention away from that. If you're worried about eating too much, let's say you struggle with eating too much, maybe have like a small healthy meal before you go to the party. So you're not starving. Most people will fill up because they show up starving. You know, if you really want to have a a dry holiday, you know, maybe bring something in case they don't have, you know, maybe, you know, that apple type champagne that's non-alcoholic or, you know, where you could be like you're drinking. So you feel like you still have a glass in your hand, but you're not drinking alcohol and you're not feeling forced into something. Have a drink. What can I give you? Because you've got something, you know, so it's, it's easier to kind of move around. So there are little things you can do. You know, a lot of this weight stuff, one dinner isn't going to make you fat or unhealthy. You know, a lot of it is psychological. It's a feeling of, oh my God, I ate so much. I feel so guilty. I must hit the gym tomorrow. And that's really what it comes down to is how forgiving you are of yourself. I love that being focused on the mindset. I love that too. And and what you were saying about um, for people, for whatever reason, not drinking. I have a friend who always shows up with a six or 12 pack of sparkling water. Like she always shows up with her LaCroix. Uh, so she doesn't even have to ask like, oh, do you have anything else? She's like, I brought my own drinks. So yeah, prepare for yourself. Another thing that um, I'm actually doing in preparation for Thanksgiving is I'm offering to bring the salad that I know I like, it, I'll fill my plate with. Like I'm one helping with the food on the table, but I'm also bringing something I know that there'll be a healthier yeah. option. And again, I know I'm going to fill my plate with the crescent rolls and the potatoes and the everything. But like, as long as I know that there's that healthy salad there, like that will, I know, help my mindset that day. So, you know, 
prepare for yourself, I say. <laughs> just show up with the things that been, enough for everyone. That's been the theme of what we've been talking about. Prioritize yourself. Yeah. And when you do that, yeah. everything else just seems easier. Yeah, I love it. All right. So this question uh, could be a little tricky. So someone wrote in, I have an in-law who makes comments about how they ate too much or feel fat. It makes me self-conscious about eating and enjoying myself. Any tips for what I could do? Sit away from them. Don't eat with them. Tune them out. Ignore them. Um, or very gently say, listen, I'm really enjoying my food and I want to feel good about eating it. And, you know, sometimes drawing that boundary is, is needed. You know, they're acting most likely out of their own insecurity and not realizing that they're putting it out there. Yeah. I know people like that will show up and immediately talk about, oh my God, this is, oh, this is so tight. I don't look good. I feel like I feel so fat. But what they're not realizing is that's, that's the energy they're putting out in the rest of the room. It's coming from their own insecurity. They don't mean to make other people uncomfortable, but they do. And sometimes, you know, maybe a gentle nudge. And to be honest, sometimes that doesn't work. But what you can do is protect yourself. Comparing yourself to other people will always bring up things that you either have too much of or too little of. And I think if the focus can be on how much you have compared to some other people and you stay in that feeling of gratitude, then it's hard to focus on all the things that you don't have or you're not doing. I like what you said too about thinking of like that's coming from insecurity. So it's almost like if you can meet them from a place of empathy instead of kind of going with, oh, this in-law is saying, you know, these things about her body, what does that mean about mine? And instead thinking of it like, I feel so sad that that is what she's living with, that she's living with those ideas. And I can leave it at that instead of looking into what does this mean about me? It just let me hold empathy for someone who's experiencing this because we've all experienced it. Empathy and gratitude can do away with so many negative things in your life for both yourself and for other people. You're actually the perfect person to ask this. I I just recently heard that when you are experiencing gratitude, you cannot simultaneously experience anxiety. Is that true or is that just like... I'd have to look at that. You know, whenever there's research around this stuff, I question it because, well, how it's such a subjective experience. How do yeah. you know that? But yes, if, you're, if your mindset is so grateful and you're focusing on that at the same time, I don't know about anxiety, but yeah, you can feel, uh, if that's the, the dominating or the dominant feeling, then it's probably hard to feel because anxiety comes from the fear of not having something or of having something terrible, right? So if you're in a place of gratitude, then the anxiety, that fear of the unknown is lessened by by default, I guess. It makes sense. But I think that that's a really amazing reminder and kind of the perfect point to end on is that empathy and gratitude can counteract so much of the struggles and can really help people move through their struggles when you put yourself in a place of gratitude and empathy. So that is absolutely amazing advice. Dr. Hafiz, thank you so much for joining us. You literally have the best wisdom. This is great, a great conversation. I enjoyed it so much. I don't know where the hour went. We can't wait to share it with our listeners. Thank you. Right, Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Yes, yes, yes. In the spirit of holidays. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 